G'day trail runners, welcome to the trail runners experience. I'm your host, Coach Daniel Ferrugia. Today's episode, we talk to Nick Muxlow, head coach of the Ultra Journey. He's also a very accomplished athlete in his own right, um, in a, a number of disciplines. So uh, yeah, let's just dive right in. Okay, welcome to episode number 30 of the Trail Runners Experience. Um, I'm sitting here with a, an accomplished athlete and coach in uh, Nick Muxlow from the Ultra Journey. Welcome, Nick. Hey, how you going there? Great yeah. to be on the show. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Thanks for your time. Um, no, really glad that you could join us and um, share some of your experience and your knowledge. And you're a... You've, uh, you're a coach and a trail runner, and you've done a bunch of other things. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, born and bred in Adelaide, and yeah, grew up originally, um, have a background in lacrosse um, when I was a youngster, but always loved running, and that sort of led me to uh, triathlon at a younger age, and then I was um, progressed through that to the Ironman distance um, but always had this love of running and then over the last probably oh, six years um, I've just gradually shifted over to the running more and more um, and then I've loved the long distance side of things so straight away it was um, basically jumping in at the marathon and then the ultra marathons um, yeah, wow. from there. Well, do you think having like, uh, I mean I played soccer growing up and I think um, I guess lacrosse is probably similar type of intensity except that you've got sticks to whack people with um, do you think having that kind of um, background has helped you in your future in sports, like building building your big aerobic capacity and all that? Oh, without a doubt. Um, because as a as a youngster, um, you know, it wasn't common for you know people to just go and run. Um, and so, while I loved you know lots of elements of the sport, as I've grown older, I've actually realised how much. Um, I played in the midfield unsurprisingly um, and it was actually the ability to be able to run within the game that I just absolutely mm. cherished um, and lacrosse is known as the fastest game on two feet oh, so really? it really set up um, basically the ability to have a strong foundation um, and actually be able to run with good solid technique. Yeah wow and so you're um it's funny you should mention that I'll come back to that in a second so it was obviously quite competitive level that you played at or did you play just through school or and I've played competitive level, um, so it was a club-based team um, yeah. for the sport and yeah. played at um, so Burnside Lacrosse Club, which is sort of up the road, and then played for state um, a couple of times, um, and then basically was in the Australian squad at one point, um, but didn't make the final cut. That's oh, all wow. good. Still um, very impressive, though, like to make the, the, the squad for any... Any sport's a pretty hard job. Yeah. yeah. So from there, um, it was a couple of years after that that I sort of then had to decide where I wanted to go, and that's when I shifted my focus to basically long distance racing. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I definitely think that because um, I played soccer from when I was a little kid, you know, right up through my teens, and, and I think that that really helped me just haven't get used to being active and, and just yeah running all the time, you know, like and running around. But um, it's it's funny. What I was, I'll come back to what I, what I was saying before is, just ju this is jumping straight into a bit of a coaching thing before we go too deep. It's amazing that all of these football clubs and stuff, they don't, um, and probably lots of other sporting clubs, they don't include a lot of um, aerobic training to their, their, their pl for their players. It's a lot, I mean, especially things like AFL, there's a lot of sprint-based training, but they're, they're not teaching them how to run sort of aerobically and how to run for a long time and like you look at a game like AFL yes they're sprinting but there's a lot of um, jogging as well in between mm -hmm. yeah and they're having okay. that ability to keep going in that fourth quarter but yeah it's yeah I don't know if you found that as well yeah 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 so it's definitely um, noticeable and uh, basically if you've got the aerobic foundation in place then it means that when you've got you're gonna end up with better efficiency um, and then that does obviously then leads on to being able to put you know that anaerobic and that higher end speed on top of that um, yeah. which gives you a much better ability to actually not only run out one game but you know the season's pretty long for them yeah to back um, it up and, and yeah exactly it helps in that well, front so many of them get injured in their last month of the season you know they just run out their bodies just start to break down 
Fascinating. But we're, we're diverging a little bit, but that's cool. We're probably going to do that a few times. Um, so yeah, you're um, yeah. So you got into your to trail running over the last six years. What about um, so like what was your first kind of big race? You know, here was it here in Adelaide? Yeah, yeah. My my first big race was definitely here in Adelaide. Um, I had always been on the trails over winter. Um, we're incredibly spoiled in Adelaide with how close they are. Yeah. Um, and so I'd done like a few years on the trails, but you know, races were not really um, that well known, except for one that we had back then, which was Eurobilla. Yeah. Um, it was like the event, and that was it. <laughs> I yeah. still argue it yeah. is probably our biggest event. Yeah, yeah. But there wasn't um, much. There was doesn't really any competition. But no, there weren't no. as many trail runners either. So yeah. yeah so I. Um, then decided one year to sign up for that um, yeah. and thought it, sort of gave it a crack. That was my first trial race and um, safe to say I was pretty happy and did relatively well. I managed to come in second yeah. overall um, with a respectable time. So wait, yeah, that is amazing. Um, what year was that? 2013 or something? Oh yeah, you test me about then. Because that was my first Eurobilla as well. I, um, I probably came in about an hour or so behind you. Um, but or maybe more than an hour, but I, I, because that's where I first heard your name. I was like, and and I remember the, I can't, I don't know why I remember this. It's just a random thought that has lodged in my brain. But um, at the presentation that they had the dinner, and you were introduced as second place, and they said that you'd gone for like a one hundred k bike ride the day before, and does that sound <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Um, it was slightly less than that. Um, oh. Basically. I was training still for triathlons at the time and um, my coach wasn't too impressed uh, that I was doing a bit of a side venture into ultra running. Oh, really? Um, so he had, I still went out on the bike. I honestly can't remember what I rode, but it was probably more like a yeah, 60 to 80k ride the day before. Still um, pretty massive. It Like, if you'd had the time over again, would you have done that the day before? I <laughs> <laughs> definitely not like I, I was it something I you would recommend one of your race yeah so it's um no that's that's amazing yeah like so you've obviously like that ability to recover and then still run a scorching time at Eurobilla and like that was a pretty warm year as well and, and Eurobilla is a tricky one because it's in September and you've trained all through winter and then September comes and you can get these hot days you know? uh, it yeah. happens every yeah. year at the event. Yeah. Like people just more hot than not, you know. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. And you're not um acclimatized to it. Like you know, mm. twenty twenty five degrees can seem extremely hot when you've been running in fifteen degrees all, all yeah. year. But um yeah, no, it's fascinating. So you um so you went you did a good a good run at Eurobilla and so what was your sort of so where did you go from there? Um from there I basically I actually stayed with the Ironman because I had a bit of a boyhood dream to get to Kona um, and that was what was really my driving force um, and it was then basically within uh, six, eight months of that that I actually then qualified and competed in Kona Wow! Um, and then basically following that um, I actually pretty much hit a bit of burnout from the sport yeah. um, and so that's so a lot of training. You got a lot of time on the bike, and you got because you've got the three disciplines. It must be so hard. Yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely very different to um, ultra running in how you balance the training program and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, then I basically sort of went. Well, I need a I need a bit of mental downtime, but I love to run. So yeah. I then basically launched into doing the running more and more. Yeah, um, and it just it grew from there. It's um it's fascinating. I had a um a lady. That I was coaching who moved over from triathlons and she'd been doing triathlons for years and she just wanted to do Eurobilla this last year you know not I won't use any names but you know not particularly fast or anything but she just wanted to get it done you know she'd never run more than a marathon and um, she couldn't believe when I put into her program that she had to have rest days she'd never had rest days before with yeah. her pre with her triathlon coach and I thought that was I'm like you don't worry you're gonna want those rest days <laughs> you're going to need those rest days down the track and yeah. yeah, it was it was really interesting. So triathletes, you know, you don't get much downtime. <laughs> no, no, it's um, like there's kind of two parts to the question. Like you, you still do need downtime, but you're often you would still do a workout that's structured slightly differently, so it'd be an easier workout. Yeah. Um, for a recovery day, but yeah, in running complete days off. Um, yeah. I definitely something that I 
you know, until you get to the real elite end, um, yeah, are something that everyone needs. Absolutely. And especially if we're working, like, people working full-time jobs and have full-time lives doing other stuff, and then they're trying to squeeze their training, and we don't have the luxury of um, being an elite athlete and resting when we need to rest, and sometimes yeah. we've got to go to work when we need to rest. And, yeah. you know, if you've got a job where you're on your feet for eight hours a day, and then, you've got to, then your coach has said you've got to go out and do a, a hard session after work. It, it's hard work, you know. Yeah. Have you found one of the things I always um, find interesting is when people go from not having a coach to having a coach on the rest days, they then start, they change their mindset around it. And so they actually, whereas if they didn't have a coach, they're not happy to have the rest day. Yeah. They feel like they should always be training. Yes. Yet when the coach then starts to actually program it as part of their run structure they actually start to then enjoy it and accept it as part of the training program and see the benefit of it absolutely yeah i mean i do sometimes catch people out and like that because they you know strava is always a giveaway like if you're going to my word of advice to anyone that i coach if you're going to cheat and run on a day <laughs> off don't put it on strava because <laughs> you know, i'll find Coach out see. yeah but um no because I'm, I'm a big believer in having those rest days and i'm sort of I don't know how you feel about this, but I've, I've always thought, I want to change the word rest day to adaptation day. <laughs> yeah, totally. Basically, that's when your body gets a chance to adapt to all the load that you put on, on it, you know? Like, and I think that if you, you think of it more, it's like your body's actually doing something on that day. It's just you're not actively having to do it. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. But I mean, also, I like the active recovery as well, you know? Even like a 5K easy jog. Is bet sometimes can be better than nothing, you know, like oh totally, and shake out the legs, but yeah. So we're getting right into a few things. Um, so you, yeah, obviously we'll probably come back to some of your running stuff later on throughout the conversation. Um, but I've got heaps of questions I want to ask you about. Um, but one of the things is um your business and you're a coach obviously now. You've moved into the coaching world from from that from your running and your triathlon background. So you're bringing a fair bit of knowledge mm-hmm. and you've got a business called The Ultra Journey, which I'd like to hear a little bit about. And I know that um, recently you've really started to, the Ultra Journey's popping up quite a bit. And um, so yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. How'd that happen? Um, yeah, I've, so my background, um, similar to yours is, uh, originally I was a teacher and I have a background, um, so with human movement, exercise and sports science um, and education. So. I'm basically qualified originally as a um, high school PE teacher um, and that just meant that I just loved coaching and then more and more um, you know I dabbled in lacrosse coaching and you know all that sort of thing but just loved working with people in the endurance field um, and then especially runners and so the skill set I developed in that um, you know obviously very similar to yourself just matches perfectly to basically coaching athletes and then actually understanding the science behind it, which is one part, but then actually being able to match that science to the athlete is what I, yeah. I love and getting the best out of people. Exactly, that's really interesting. No, um, so you've obviously come equipped with quite a lot. And I think teaching is, the thing I've found best with having a teaching degree and, back, and a background in teaching is, this is just another form of teaching. As we talked about before we started recording, you know, coaching and teaching are one and the same. The difference is, you're not coaching unwilling children. I mean, sometimes you might. <laughs> you co- you, 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 the participants that you're coaching are generally more willing. Yes. You know? And, and um, I find that um, if I'm able to explain what I want people to do and why I want them to do it, they're yeah. more likely to stick to the plan as well. You, you wouldn't expect an adult just to do something without question, you know? People want to know. I don't know, yeah. do you have that? Do you have people questioning your, your, what you planned for them and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I always come back to what you just mentioned, actually understanding the why around what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, you know, if I, if I get questioned, then, you know, there's always a reason behind it. Um, often that's sort of explained price. So I don't get, um, you know, I've already answered that. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, absolutely. You need to, if, if you can't clearly understand the reason why a coach is doing something, then you need to ask because you need the 100% investment in the program and what you're actually doing because it's your time that you're spending out there. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's that's good. Sound like we come uh, from some a different a similar mindset with our coaching, which is nice. Um, so it's good. We must be the best coaches in the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, just you know, we. I know. It's, I find that it's always. I'm always learning, and and with, as a coach, there's always 
I try and keep educating myself. And I think as soon as you think you know it all, there's something else. There's something else. Oh, there's yeah. always more. And, like the, and the personality, uh, the, the, when the different people that you deal with, you, learning personalities is fascinating. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah. totally. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, as a coach, you're always growing, learning, implementing new concepts. And, you know, that's, that's always going to be the case. Like, to it's sort of within the... Um, endurance field but really like we consider say the swim times um back when they had the speed suits and all these world records were set okay yeah. and so they thought these world records would never fall but they've all started to fall and that's basically as a result of our understanding around sports science coaching has improved that it's actually now allowed us to supersede those times Maybe. even though they had a technological aid back then it's, um, that it's fascinating it. yeah and it's it is um so they're actually beating those times now, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like the times that they have with those suits, but without the suits. Yeah, but, spot on. Um, so can you imagine if they put those suits back on now, it'd be a huge leap forward again. You know, oh, like, yeah, totally. Yeah. But, um, but that's just that's the learning process that, um, particularly in the last, oh, really, even six to eight years, I'm sure you can recognise how far our understanding around endurance concepts and coaching has actually progressed. Um, it's just been phenomenal, the... The amount that was stripped out of you know course records and times and the cool. speeds that people are able to do now it is um, amazing I, i've said this a lot over the last probably two years or maybe more but like the 100k distance uh, it's my favorite distance i think in terms of endurance because i think there's a bit of speed involved still but it's yeah. a lot it's a it's a real endurance event you know it's a long a long time to be out you know um but the 100k is the new marathon in some yeah, ways, I definitely hear that. Yeah, um, without and, doubt. And the times are just getting breathtakingly fast. You know, I think the world record for the hundred k on the road is under six and a half hours now. <laughs> yeah, know? wow. It, yeah, it is incredible. Like if an if an average, you know, if you're an average person in a marathon did that, that'd be a, you know be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a first time marathon runner did a six and a half hour marathon, and here they are running two two and a half times that distance. Yeah. But you know, running. Yeah, so there is, I think, um, I don't know how far away the limits are. And as I mentioned to, again, off the off air, uh, before we were recording, that this book by Alex Hutchinson, which I just finished recently, um, and I've brought up on the podcast before, um, it um, talks a lot about that. Uh, we're joined by a special guest as well today. We've got... Um, Nick's, Nick's dog Ellie in the house, and um, yeah, Nick didn't agree with what I had to say there. So <laughs> Ellie didn't agree. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, but yeah, the, this book Endure talks a lot about the um, progression of the sport, and so I highly recommend you read it. And anyone else that it's um, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, <clears throat> but like, um, where were we? Yeah, talking about just like this the speeds that we're able to get to, and like you, you talk about the swimming, those suits have made an advantage there's so many advantages in running now technological advantages that um you know, I, I i sort of i like to i might pose this question to you in a second but there's so many forms of cheating now and where do we draw the line of, of um what constitutes cheating in this kind of sport yeah um years ago i read a story about the first person to run a race at one of the early modern olympics and he carried a fob watch in his hand so he could pace himself as he went around the laps. And everyone cried that he was cheating, you know, because he was pacing himself. Mm -hmm. And then, then it became, within no time, everyone was wearing wristwatches so they could pace themselves. I mean, and now we've got these ridiculous, these, these computers on our wrist, you know, that is, yeah. can tell us so much information. You know, what, how much advantage is that giving us, do you think, you know? Oh, the, like, the advantage is definitely massive. Um without you know without doubt particularly as we've got you know power meters now yeah really taking that even even further um as they've started to become more and more common um the other thing is really it's i guess it's more a case of where we draw the line um mm. so i actually mentioned um in journey to 100 about um i wanted to ask you about this yeah. <laughs> basically on. about um the ability to do like real-time blood lactate monitoring um so I actually happened to, I was standing in line um, at a race, uh, basically waiting to do the registration and it was overseas so I started talking to the person in front of me um, and she happened to be 
basically worked for this um, company. I have no idea what it was, but they were actually developing this technology. And so basically they're working out and collecting the data from light um, when they basically shoot it into the um, bloodstream and then collect it again. And they're looking at the differences with that regards to your blood lactate. So in essence, we can then basically do real-time blood lactate monitoring. To wow. so me, that's when we then have to draw the line um, yeah. because that means that we could then, it's quite consistent, we're getting so close to the cellular level, which is what we're really looking at. Yeah. Um, and that basically will then mean that, you know, we'll, you figure out based on the time or the distance, um, you basically say to your athlete, right, I need you to keep it between these two points, go, um, and your power will be gone pace will be gone, heart rate will be gone because you'll just be running to exactly what um, your blood lactates are. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I'll, that's, I'll leave, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's some amazing technology. And like, even just down to shoes, like, sorry, jumping away, like the, um, the, like the Nike Vapor Flies, for example. <laughs> yeah. know, they're like the, the speed suits of the shoe world. They are. Yeah, they're like... Um, Phenomenal. Yeah. Have you run in a pair? I haven't. Um, if I was to be doing a, a marathon coming up sometime soon, and you'd get yourself a pair. I'd probably be getting myself a pair because, yeah. you know, I basically if it's, I mean, I'm a stickler for operating within what's legal and what's yeah. You know, well, they're legal going, at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Until so. until they uh, do what they did with the suits, probably. You know, yeah. they'll ban them and retro and get rid of mm. the, the records. And then, like you look at the like the Breaking Two project, which I have talked a lot about recently, um, they they were wearing those shoes, you know. And they, yeah. they they weren't just vapor flies; they were wearing custom made ones that were basically mm-hmm. custom to their individual feet. So each yeah. one, each shoe, pair of shoes were worth a lot of money, you know. Like yeah. so, yeah. Stripping out the weight, putting the they're basically wearing springs on your feet. They've got like a blade that goes through the thing, um, right through the arch uh, of the foot that gives you a bit of a return, doesn't it? Like mm. oh, a big bounce off the road. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was reading an article on it um, a couple of months ago now, so I'm a bit rusty, but yeah, basically like the returns um, that they've done across like their sample size was like five percent. Yeah. Um, well I think they officially they call them four percent. Four percent. Yeah. Okay. No, this is because I think that's what they call the shoe now. Like Nike Vaporfly four percent. Yeah. You know? It's it's a big difference. I mean but yeah, that's yeah, it's hard to grasp. Yeah, I wouldn't oh, mind totally. taking improving my performance by four percent. Mm. You know, it'd be pretty good. But yeah, no, we'll, we might. We've had it. Yeah, we're sort of jumping around a bit with our conversation. I want to get in, dive into some sort of specifics um, that I'm going to ask you about, and then I think there's a few things I, that you might have for me as well. We might touch on some of those things. So I have two sort of coaching focused questions to do with trail running, and um, the first one is hills versus flats. So it's not a question, it's kind of a question, it's a topic. Um, in trail running specifically, mm-hmm. as a, like, there's a, there's a bit of a mentality that you know, more hills means better all the time. And like, I'm a huge fan of hills, but the question is, you know, at what point do, does hill running become counterproductive to your overall speed? You know, as a coach, would you, um, prescribe 100% of your runs be on, on the steepest hills imaginable. Yep. Or, so I'll, I'll throw you the other option, or do you tailor it more to whatever the event is that they're building up to? I, oh, it's, definitely, it's definitely a mix. Um, I'll probably go one step before that um, and say when I get runners come to me, if they're, say, a marathon runner mm. um, and they're not doing any work on the trails, the first thing I probably do to improve them is start to incorporate some trail work. Yeah. If I have a trail runner that's doing every single run on trails, then one of the quickest ways that I improve them is actually pull them on the road for some of their sets. Yeah. Because there's certain things we can achieve on the trails that we can't achieve on the road, and there's certain things we can achieve on the road that we can't achieve on the trails. Yeah. Um, and that's basically leading into then, I guess, the question, because that gives us more variety with our sets. Um. And so it's similar for basically then, you know, at what point do the hills become detrimental to the training program? And what I really feel we need to look at um, is basically balance within the training program. So if you're going for a, you know, a super steep hilly course, then you're going to have to have more hills than someone that's yeah, um, doing a 
race that also has um, you know is actually quite a fast race yeah um, and there's not as many hills in it um, the other part um, sorry I lost my chain of thought a little bit that's all good no um, that's great no. so what's basically from there um, oh sorry where I was going with that was often the hills that we then choose within the program because um, this is the other the other part of the question is basically yeah. the steepness of the hills yes and I'm a big believer in you actually need to choose hills that are of a steepness that you can still run up. And so that's very different to different athletes. I'm not a religious man, but I want to say amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. because so often people just go, and I actually, I'm having a chuckle because I've just seen your hat chasing Bert. Yes, which, I'm is, the which is fantastic. But yeah. at the same time, we have to be aware that if we can't run up the hills because it's destroyed our form. Yeah. Um, so, you know, your cadence is suddenly and suffering... You're um, basically, you know, you can, your heart rate's through the roof. Yeah. Then at the end of the day, you've got to stop and walk. So it's like, well, hang on, let's maybe choose a hill that's not quite as steep. Um, but then if your race demands that of you, then that's where we then need to balance it within the program. Yeah. So that's, um, I could not agree more. I don't know if there's another podcast. I mean, I do listen to pod other podcasts other than my own. In fact, I rarely listen to my own. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah. but there's a podcast um, called The Science of Ultra. I don't know if you've ever heard mm -hmm. it. I've heard of it. Yeah, and they did, he interviewed a, um, uh, Sean Bearden is the guy that runs it, and he interviewed this exercise physiologist that had done a study on the gradients of running hills, and mm -hmm. they, they tried to find out what was the optimum hill gradient to run up to, to where at what point does running or walking become more efficient mm -hmm. and um, they just they, they got a treadmill they custom made a treadmill that they had to that they could go that could go up to 45 percent right apparently they got this really old treadmill that had like this crazy um, and they had an old engine in it and it was it was a it was a noisy thing and they jacked it up and it took them, apparently it took them a long time to get it right. And they jacked it up to 45% and they basically did a whole bunch of tests on the treadmill and they figured out the most efficient um, gradient was 20%. Anything more than 20%, it becomes more efficient to walk or hike. Yeah. Anything. And so just under that, so basically, that, and I keep that in mind as well. I, I think it's, I'd rather be able to train on runnable hills. Um, mm -hmm. But you do need those steep, a bit of everything. Yeah. yeah, it is specificity is the key. Yeah, the training principle. But I mean, twenty percent still steep. That's a cranking hill. Absolutely. Um, like most most climbs, at least around Adelaide, in terms of like um, the overall. Yeah, yeah, like even on the road is like you're talking like five percent is yeah. steep on a bike. Um, obviously it's more than that on the run, but. Um, yeah, like that's a that's a punchy hill. There's yeah, the, um, the running. I guess they were talking about in terms of trail hills, and twenty percent was the absolute limit of, of what you could should efficiently be running on. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I um, yeah. So I don't know. Like I'm gonna do. I would like to do more reading in that. And I'm gonna might bring that up next week in the podcast because I think it's something that is um is fascinating to me, and it and I think a lot of other people get a lot about it, a lot out of it. I really like what you say about. Yeah, running to the um, like, yeah, what the reflecting the the gradients of the hills that you're doing. Mm. There is a, and I don't know if you have noticed it, but there is a tendency for people to go, I'll just get as many as as many meters elevation as I can. There's on, a big tendency, yeah, leading leaning that way at the moment. Um, uh, you lose a lot of speed. You might become a lot stronger, but you'll definitely lose speed yeah. overall. And it's. And this, you actually, you start to see the repetition of this. Mm. So, um, and this sort of comes back to like, say a beginning runner. The first thing that they learn is, oh, if I train more regularly, mm. then I actually get fitter. And yes. so they'll start going from, you know, say twice a week or three times a week to four, five, six. And then they basically come to a point that they learn, oh, suddenly, so if I train more regularly and I train harder yeah. consistently, then I improve more. Yes. And so then they start upping that up. And what's actually then occurred is it's like, okay, so if I run hills, I improve my times. Mm. That's true. And so people have gone, oh, cool. Well, I'm just going to keep chasing more and more vert. So but you increased intensity and volume 
invert. And suddenly it's like, well, so you're just trying to do everything at the maximum and you've got to go, well, there's got to be balance, variety and specificity in your training program. Yeah, fundamental training principles right there. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, yeah, I, I, I think it's valuable. Um, I, and, like, and I don't want to open this can of worms just yet, but I'll just mention it. But just like then you've got to think about the periodization of your program. So when do you run hills? Mm-hmm. If you're training versus, I mean, there are a time. If you're training for a really hilly mountain race, you do need to, to smash those hills. But there's a time in your plan. Yeah. And there's a time. I mean, I think so anyway. Like, what are your thoughts on that? So uh, earlier in the plan or later in the plan or scattered throughout? Oh, it's, I mean, that's that's really so variable based on the end goal um, as to what, you know, if it's a flatter race, then you're going to have to do the hill training earlier. Mm. Um, and then you might sort of sacrifice that towards the end if you've got to have a lot of flat land speed, say for a 50K, that's quite, um, you know, that's not hilly. Um, if it's obviously quite a hilly race, then you need to match that towards the end of the training program. Yeah. Um, probably one of the, key things as well is then actually where you actually then place that within a weekly training volume um, and how you actually balance those across each other because if you're uh, basically chasing you know quite steep hills then that as you said it affects your run pace and so you're actually getting a different training stimulus and a training volume and a fatigue effect on the body yeah Um, and it's really interesting to then sort of look at how you actually build that into the plan as well yeah absolutely um, I, if you take an example of, um, oh, like last last year, I ran Buffalo Stampede, <laughs> yeah. Sky Ultra, pretty seventy five k's, four and a half thousand meters of climbing. Yeah. So my training, especially in the three months leading up to it, was a lot of hills. You yeah. Know? I was averaging probably three thousand, close to three thousand meters a week, you know, of climbing, just just on the trails, and. Um, Came to the race, did pretty well. I mean, it was it was tough. There's no doubt about it. I pulled up pretty well. I think that I was adequately prepared. As soon as I got onto the flats and I tried to uh, run fast again, I had probably over five k's over like just my park run. I'd probably lost about two minutes of speed, yeah. you know, over five k's, which is heaps, you know. But I still yeah. felt really strong and fit. I definitely my quads were bigger. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I bulked up more, you know, like, yeah. and um, that's that. And like, it probably took me a couple of months to sort of get it back, but it was, I was surprised because I was putting in the same effort, but just not, did not have that leg speed, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's that, and basically then if you look at, like what you're looking at then is a pure strength component um, to what you're doing and you basically, rightly so for the race that you were targeting, you dropped kind of like that higher end speed yeah. from what you're doing. Um, and that, I mean, Buffalo Stampede, like a punchy race. <laughs> so yeah, it makes big, sense. Big hills in it. I was surprised. There actually were quite a few big flat sections though in the middle of the race, which was a nice re- relief in some ways. But um, yeah, the, some of the hills were like 45% and that's no joke. Like yeah, com- coming in. Yeah, it's fun. Good fun. I, I highly recommend it. I'd like to get over there this year, but I don't know if it's going to happen. There's a bit too much other stuff on. But yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world too. Yeah, yeah. I definitely. I haven't actually been, but I've obviously yeah. heard of runners running it and seen the course profile and that sort of thing. So Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah, you'd love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, that, that's really good. The hills and the flats. So I think we've come, we've come to the conclusion that a mixture is important and specificity is important. And... Um, so do you think uh, before variety we, is the spice of life? It is, yeah. it is, and like thinking a bit. Just so also, would it pay? So I, I always think it would. People go, I'm going to look at the elevation profile and see what this race is like if I'm going to enter this race or whatever, and they'll look at it and they'll go, whoa, it's got two and a half thousand meters of climbing, or it's um, and you know you see these big spiky bits, and then they're, they're focusing in on these big spiky bits. But I, I tend to go, okay, where are the flat bits? How many of them are there? And yes, the hills are important. And like you look at a race like even like our local um, Urubilla, mm-hmm. it's a pretty hilly race, about 2,000 metres. But there are still quite a few flat runnable sections in that race, you know? Heaps. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like most, um, and even the hills that are there, are, depending on your 
you know your ability as a runner but a lot of them are runnable hills yeah you can um, move or move fairly quick i mean it's yeah absolutely so yeah without yeah. doubt and that's one of the things i find catches people out on that front is they you need to really carefully look at your um the scale that they've used for basically the course profile because it can sometimes look it's basically deceptive yes. um, that what it actually looks like is the case is can actually be quite different so if they've chosen a scale that extenuates it then you're like well i'm going into like something that's massive do when you, it may not be do you think race directors do that on purpose because they know that that's a good marketing tool <laughs> i don't know maybe i hadn't thought of it like that because i think people want want to do the most epic most crazy and look I'm, I'm like that like if i see like that's why i did buffalo i thought this thing man it's the ultimate thing but like I'll, I'll be honest some of the hills were nowhere near as bad as i expected them to be you know like but i mean there were a couple that were ridiculous but uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, check the scale properly. Yeah, probably, yeah. I guess my hot tip on that front would yeah. also be try and speak to someone who's been there before. Yeah. Um, basically just, you know, give them a call and reach out to them if you don't know anyone. Um, find someone that's around what you kind of would guess your finish time is um, because the old training communities are always open mm. to talk and share and, you know, particularly discuss courses and just say, hey, just wondering what's what's the course like? Um, yeah. I'm looking at the profile and find out, well, yeah. you know, what is it literally like? Yeah, what would you do differently, you know, or what was your, what was your mistakes? What did you do well? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, that's um, really good advice. Yeah, all right, I'll move on to the next part, the next sort of uh, focus, and that is long, slow runs yes um versus speed yeah so where i mean i've got my stance and i think you I, i've got a feeling i know where you're going to go with this but so like what's the mixture how do we juggle that and how do you juggle that with your clients yeah absolutely um again it comes down to the same principles at looking what race they're doing and also what their capability is because if you're doing like i say a 50 kilometer race um, as an ultra like that's still a quick race and if you're a quite a quick runner then you'll need you know a huge amount of speed still for that if you're a slower runner um, then obviously that's not going to be as much of a component of it and then that's a similar sort of proposition for 100k as well um, so it's definitely determined by the athlete um, in my opinion um, but you need both in there like, yeah. there's no getting away from the fact that you need a bunch of long slow stuff um, but in my opinion you also need a bunch of you know um, faster pace running or varying intensities probably the key things that I see trip people up is that they come in with often like a marathon mindset yeah. and a marathon is a flat-out sprint well, compared like to 100k, compared to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Absolutely. compared to 100k or even a 50k, yeah, it's pain, um, it can be painfully fast for most so, of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that then basically means that the training methodology that's used within that means that the speed work is just so short and so fast compared to what we actually need to do as distance runners. So we need to take our speed work with a long distance understanding, um, and that means that often like the way I basically look at it is it needs to be uh, slower reps, but for a longer period of time. Right. Um, and that really matches then to what you're trying to do, which is hold a long distance speed. Interesting. So you're really trying to channel in, or as they say, Americans say, dial in that, um, that the ultra pace that you want to do. Yeah. Or, 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 well, you'll often be well above your ultra pace because, yeah. um, you know, that that's far beyond what you ever do in a training run is what you do on like 100k yeah um, even our long slow runs are generally going to be faster than our ultra race pace oh without yeah. doubt yeah without doubt um and so you know if your long slow run is quicker than your race pace yeah then any speed work is going to be exceptionally or ex exponentially quicker than what um you would do and that's basically then coming down to actually understanding um at a physiological level everyone's got rest through the maximum and then at different basically this is where you often go to a zoned system different zones within that you get different adaptations from the body and it's then understanding the balance and how to actually achieve those adaptations into the training plan and that's really what a coach is yeah. looking at 
Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's a slightly different sort of wording, to, but I sort of I see where you're coming from. It's it is um, necessary. I guess my biggest thing, especially with new new runners or people who are new to who are stepping up to the bigger distances, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I spend a lot of time forcing them to slow down. I don't know if you've ever had that that battle. Um, yeah. And because um, <clears throat> I still they all want to run fast all the time, you know, like. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I find I find that they come in wanting to run fast, and then as you start to increase the distance, you get to a point yeah. that they have to slow down. Yeah, exactly. So you start your reps might a bit might be shorter, and then basically they get to a point that's like, hang on, I can't hold this for um, for four hours for however you know whatever <laughs> yeah. time frame it is, whether it's because it's a long rep and they're going mm. far in excess oh, of yeah. what they need to, or it's a long run, and then basically that means that they start having to actually pull the reins in um, on what they're doing. And um, like I find that a lot of people, when they get to about 25 kilometers plus in their longer training runs, mm-hmm. that's when the reality of what an ultra is starts to sink in. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, hang on, I'm going to be running over this distance quite a lot in my training. And so, yeah, it's yeah. Um, learning. And I mean, yeah, that, that's a, it's a, that, there's a real, there's certain things you cannot teach as a coach. They have to experience it, you know. Yeah. You got to go. You got to get out there, go and run for four hours, mm-hmm. see what happens. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm a massive believer, um, and all those that I coach will sort of attribute to this is, it's about understanding that, like as a coach, understand the concepts, but then setting up the learning experiences or the training sets that actually get them to experience. We'll teach them to talk there. Yeah, yeah, but actually absolutely. experience that for themselves because it's through that experience that they suddenly get that understanding. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. And look, yeah, and I, I again, I, I also think that there's certain things we when we're preparing for a race, there's so many things you can control a lot of elements going into a race mm-hmm. but and so you've got to really cross the tick all, as many of those boxes as you can and as a coach i think it's our job to to really address those issues as as they come up or even before they come up mm-hmm. but um it's also having them them and this is going to dive into something that you i know you want to talk about is having them ready to deal with the things that that they cannot control and because uh-huh. there, there are a lot of factors you can't control in a race yeah and um so that, that comes into the mindset aspect of, of, um, of coaching and running. And I know that that's a big part of how you coach. And I'd like to hear a bit about your opinion on that, you know, like, because I do think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge believer in the mindset. Like it's a, the, the training element, you're training your body, those long, slow runs. They're not just about training your body. They're training your mind to deal oh, with absolutely. that. We all go through those. Everyone goes through those low points. And if you, you're not running far enough if you're not going through those low points. Mm-hmm. You need to experience that in training to, um, to go, how am I going to deal with this? Yeah. So tell me about your approach to mindset. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I, I basically look at it as part of um, you know, everything we need to do. And a lot of the mindset's developed through the training plan um, and setting up either those challenges that um, might physically challenge an athlete but then also mentally challenging them as well um, and then basically getting them to actually then grow that belief in themselves through pushing them beyond what they thought they could do on their own um, and if you've challenged them you know that way in training then suddenly when they come to racing it's like easy um, and that can be through you know the actual sets it could be through like visualization and things um, as well and actually then you know, getting them to prompt, well, what are the things that could go wrong in a race and how are you going to overcome it? Um, but then also, I, I kind of like also, and this might be, some people, if they listen to this before I have a few training days coming up, might sort yeah. of get a bit of a lowdown on what I'm doing, but so be it. Like, even uh, within the training environment, then deliberately challenging the athletes and putting them, like, way outside their comfort zone. So if you've, if you've, for instance, got, like, an aid station set up... Um, basically another oh. coach there just like shift things around so that it's there but it's not where they left it and what oh. you're then basically doing is you're actually getting it so that suddenly they come into the aid station and then they've got to basically go oh shit this is where it is but it's not there what's happened yeah and they've got to then actually overcome that can't find their drop bag can't find the drop oh, bag okay yeah and then basically they've got to be able to continue on and actually then watching them work through that 
um, yeah. and basically then guiding us without falling apart. You know, yeah. because I mean, yeah, we've all been there. That mental when you're on that that mental edge, you know, and usually happens in the last third of an ultra. You know, when you're tired and you don't have that um, that barrier, that facade of like mm-hmm. being is if something bad happens, you can all fall apart. Yeah. And you know, so yeah, no, that's interesting. I was going to say that reminds me of seeing what people are capable of, and like that book I mentioned earlier about with that Alex Hutchinson book. Um, and do it. They did a study where they got a bunch of guys. I forget whether they were, um, they were athletes in, in some capacity, and they got them on these stationary bikes, mm-hmm. and they had to do these. They had to go as hard as they could in a hard setting for as long as possible until they had absolutely no n- n- nothing left. Like I think when I say hard as they could, like operating at like above lactate threshold, mm-hmm. like. So they could push, I think some of them were pushing for like 20 minutes to 30 minutes and then yeah. to utter collapse. Like they had to go until they could not do another minute, another another 10 seconds. And then they did it. And then they get, they, they'd all they'd fall off and it's like, oh, well done. Then they go, okay, now we just want a five second burst. They, they'd get off the bike, they'd get them back on the bike and go, okay, I want you to do a five second burst. Oh, it was an output thing to see how much output they could do um, on the bike. So, so and they were getting on. These are people who thought they had nothing left, absolutely nothing left. They could, and in that last five-second burst, they were able to generate three times as much power output just for five seconds. Mm-hmm. But they did it. Like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And that's you know. And the, the book talks about like, the, what did the mind do? Where did the body? Because on paper, that they just said. I mean, they had all said, oh, "I can't go on. I can't do another. I've yeah. got literally nothing left." And within like with less than a two-minute recovery. They could then generate three times as much yeah. output. You could argue that they're doing, oh, they're using their fast twitch muscle fibers. It's different. It's anaerobic, which is true. But even still, why couldn't you generate any more mm-hmm. in that? You know, yeah. So where you see that all the time is um, really coming down to races versus training. Yeah. And you'll see um, if you've given like a a long effort to an athlete, and like they might sort of make a comment afterwards, like you know, I was totally. Um, you know, cooked at the end, like that was a really hard effort. And you look at what their output is and you're like, okay, yep. And you look at their race Mm. and what they're able to achieve in a race was often harder than that for longer than that, even if it was only like a a sea race leading in. And so really that then sort of comes down to basically the effect of adrenaline and racing on our mindset. Um, But then also the the element that pain is actually a construct of the mind and whether the body can actually go on and it's actually then being able to just be comfortably accepting mm. the uncomfortable um, nature of where you're currently at. It goes into um, uh, Noakes's, um, I don't know if you've read much of Tim Noakes, the central governor theory. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So basically like at what can you tolerate? To ki- I mean, at what point does your body just die? They've, mm-hmm. they've done no, they've, they've, not many people have died of exhaustion, you know, because there's that there are so many limiting factors that that your body has ways of self yeah, yeah. self preservation of going. I'm going to slow. I'm going to make your muscles cramp so you slow down. I'm going to make you throw up so mm-hmm. you have to stop. I'm going to you know like all these weird things that you might. Yeah, yeah. And they reckon there and 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 Tim Noakes said that it was to do with the central governor that's in your brain. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was some woman. I, I'm terrible at remembering these anecdotal names and stuff, but she um she'd had seizures her whole life, and she had a, a portion of her brain, um was like she had like a lobot like a kind of like a lobotomy. I'm not mm-hmm. um and to to stop these seizures, but what it actually did it removed that part of the brain that um oh, right. it, that, that her, like her pain switch yes, and so she pushed beyond anything that she'd ever done before in races like she had happened to be an athlete as well and just that ability to push on i'm not recommending that everyone goes out and gets a lobotomy you know to run it before you run an ultra <laughs> but you know it's sort of like it's a good example of like there is something in the mind that is yeah. controlling us and whether it's your own expectations or your mm-hmm. own yeah so it's being prepared I, isn't it i've always questioned this um obviously something neither of us will ever know for sure mm-hmm. um but often women who are endurance racers after they've had children can actually come back and achieve far more than they were able to beforehand. Yeah. 
And it's like, I wonder always how much of that is actually like the pain threshold is actually like being reset um, what they within their body. Do. And so then they're able to just push beyond what they were able to do before. And it just means they just come back as like super athletes, um, particularly it's, some of the elites in that area. It's funny. Well, my wife is, she's a runner as well. And we, cause we've got three small children and we, um, and she won't mind me sharing this because I've always been in awe of women who've had babies and then continue on. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just anyone having babies is crazy. And like, I was I was present at the birth of all three of my children. Amazing experience, you know, like um, the best thing ever, but terrifying at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. And I, every single time I remember my wife going, I can't do this. Like towards the end when it just got so hard she's like i just cannot do this this is so hard like i'm I, anything give me anything to stop this just but she got through it three times and so it's incredible and she had she'd never run an ultra before she had a baby mm-hmm. and so like she's not an elite athlete but she's, she's yeah I, I do believe that she's like got some there's something there that i don't have i think i would have fainted if i was in, if I was in pain <laughs> like yeah it's something that's very upsetting as a, a partner watching your part go, go through that level of pain and you literally can't do anything about it mm-hmm. you know so yeah there is definitely a parallel there somewhere and it might be to do with mindset it might be a chemical change in the brain mm-hmm. um but it's fascinating so maybe we need, we need to strap electrodes to yeah, well the, that's one way <laughs> to the to the stomach or or to the balls of your male runners and and zap them periodically <laughs> until it gets stronger and stronger. Yeah, I don't know, man. But um, yeah, we'll jump into a couple of other topics. That's um, so you, you, we talked a lot about mindset. We could yeah. probably we could cover. Is there anything we're running? We're running pretty quite short on time. Unfortunately, we don't have a heap of time today. But I definitely want to get you back in, and we'll have another chat um, if you're keen. And and I think that um, but like other. There's a few things I know in your coaching philosophy that I would like to hear about. But so, if there's anything in particular jumping out at you, I know we can talk yeah. about technique or yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, probably what's um, helpful for your listeners, I guess, would also be just to um, cover a little bit of my philosophy, like at a broad sort of concept. Yeah. Um, just because it might get them to sort of start thinking about their running and how it actually fits in with that. So I kind of have um, what actually started as four um, basically key areas in the philosophy. So one's the ultra mindset, uh, then we have the ultra techniques, the ultra body, and then the ultra plan. And collectively, they're all working together to enable you to basically run your best ultra marathon is what um, we're all about. And so the other one that I now add to that is the ultra coach. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's basically <laughs> me, me or whoever the other your yeah. coach may be, but um, I'm sure you know, pretty much all coaches can attribute to, I've always been astounded at how much more a coach can actually um, allow an athlete to achieve than when the coach isn't in place. Um, mm. And so that's where it's like, well, you know, these guys aren't kind of achieving on their own. So I kind of ended up incorporating the coach as a specific element. Just to pause on that for a second, like those first four things you mentioned, like, I, I mean, I agree with all of them, but can you maybe elaborate on why a yeah. coach, you know, like I know accountability is a huge factor. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, but is it just accountability? I mean, because I think that anybody with, who's got a, nearly anybody could figure out, you could go Google the exact way to train and you could figure it out. What is accountability the only thing that a coach brings to the table? Uh, it, it's more than accountability. It's definitely, that's a huge proportion of it. But, um, it's also then, you know, if you've, if you've never been somewhere before and someone has been there before, they're mm. able to pick up on the mistakes that you're going to make along the way and basically fast track that journey. Yeah. Um, and then also, so that sort of basically enables you to get where you're trying to go quicker. So you get quicker progress. The other thing is that you're then able to um, actually give feedback on an individual set and actually guide them through that so that while they may be able to run a set on their own, they may not actually achieve what was outlined in that and then being able to guide them on it. And often a lot of the time you actually teach or coach athletes to realize that they're capable of so much more than basically the limiting factors that they put on themselves. Um, Like I know for 
often give, and I'm sure you do, like a fitness test of some description. And, you know, actually learning to do a fitness test is part of it. Um, but I've had athletes go and run it and I've just gone, you're holding back on me. Yeah. Like you, you're at about 70% and I'm wanting you in this particular instance to give me 100%. Yeah. Um, and then they go out and, you know, might be two, three, four, a couple of months later, who knows, go and do it again. And then they're actually learning what they're capable of as a human body. Yeah. And it just, it astounds them, but you know that they can do it. So... There's, there's lots of different ways that a coach can basically contribute to what you're doing. Absolutely. To kind of help your listeners, I was going to say, like in terms of the, the other three, the mindset, the techniques, the body and the plan, um, basically like the, the mindset was sort of touched on, um, but then like the techniques has to do with all the techniques that are involved in ultra range. So your uphills, your downhills, your cadence, um, also understanding how you can get the like even say nutrition on when you run mm. actually becomes a technique driven part of it absolutely um, yep and then also like your efficiency um as well the body is then really looking at your your strength um it can also be looking at like your gut and the way that that operates as well as then your engine be it aerobic and anaerobic uh and then from there i look at um basically the plan which is you know, your short, your middle, your long-term plan and looking at then periodization, which is like the coach's fancy name for that. Yeah. Um, but collectively, those are the, the main elements and the building blocks that we need in place um, that basically enable a runner to go really well. Absolutely, yeah. So... Um, I think you're, you've the, say a similar idea to me and I think it's basically... I always say running is not a... It's not just about your legs. Mm-hmm. It's a whole... It's a holistic thing. It's a whole body whole mind body and mind thing you know there's so much more to it than just teaching your legs to run quickly Mm -hmm. you know and that's that's the thing and yeah because we're you know we're not learning to run 100 meters i mean even that's got a lot there's a lot in it you know like so yeah fascinating no i don't know if if you've done it i i've actually set up a quiz um based on this as well which um is either at uh, quiz.theultrajourney.com or you can find it through my website but which Basically, is theultrajourney.com? Yes, it is theultrajourney.com. Yeah. Uh, and it basically, I've got 20 questions that then mean that we can basically assess you on how much you're actually achieving in each of these areas. So you aren't, you grade yourself between one and, or naught and 10 onto how well you think you're achieving it. And then basically it compiles it into those. Uh, it actually only does the four areas. Um, yep. So the top four areas, the mindset, the techniques, the body and the plan and then that can actually then give you guidance on what you actually can do from that to improve your ultra and where your time is best spent it sounds fantastic i'm going to uh, get on there and do it myself <laughs> yeah yeah go yeah, for it yeah it's awesome so, yeah good good idea i think um yeah so just um so you can you re- repeat the name of your website again so if people want to go and check you out for all that business yeah yeah so it's uh, theultrajourney.com um, or obviously Google's our friend, just put the Ultra Journey in there. Yeah, um, well, they can find you on Facebook and all that, can they? Yeah, yeah, totally on, on Facebook. Um, also have like Instagram page set up as well um, awesome. for anyone that wants to have a look around there. I know quite a few have got a, I, I spend a fair bit of time blogging and writing about running and things. Yeah. Um, so there's quite a few articles on there that are of interest. Um, awesome. And, as you've, well. and you've got a book. And I, I wanted to mention that. We didn't even dive into that. But um, just where, what's your book and where can we find it? Or can we find it still? Yeah, yeah, you can totally still yeah. find it. Um, it is for sale on my website for pretty much anyone in, in Australia. It's probably the easiest spot. Or uh, for international listers, listeners, because I know you've got a few of those as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can jump onto Amazon um, and just put in the ultra, sorry, journey to 100. I've it right. You better journey get your own one, book name. <laughs> <laughs> journey to 100. Yeah. Um, so how to run your best 100 kilometer ultra marathon and love it. Excellent. And yeah, I've, I've received some great feedback so oh, far. Good. That must have been quite an experience, which I'll have to tell you, uh, find out about next time. But um, when, you, you wrote that a few years ago, didn't you? Was... Yeah, about 18 months ago now. Yeah, um, fantastic. So it's... it's um, obviously not having, I guess, like huge advertising budget, I've kind of let it go by word of mouth and yeah. I've really started to see it 
get picked up now oh, um, throughout the traps. So, yeah. Now, my next question, my final question before we wrap up is, is there an audio book format of it yet? Are you going to do a reading of it and get it on Audible? I'm, I'm definitely looking at it. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, awesome. I've, I've got that penciled in. Um, it's just a case of, um, basically, they don't, it's not a cheap process to do that one. No, I can um, imagine. You need like Patrick Stewart to read it or some, or some big famous Hollywood actor. That'd, that's always good. So, or you can read it yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I've, there is the work in that. That is a work in progress. So I'm hoping I'll get to that mid-year. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, it'll obviously be out. But at the moment, it's in print edition. That's good. Um, yeah. I have had, there was actually one local runner that, um, whose wife, excitedly came over to me and goes you'll not believe it um, she was an avid reader and she bought it for her, her husband and um, basically he hadn't read a book since high school um, so this is like 20 or 30 years and she said it was the first book he's finished cover to cover and I was like shit that's like that's all right wow so, and look at that you're an educator and you know because you are you're a school teacher and then you're getting people to read as adults that's great so yeah so Reading, yeah um it's up to each person to judge it how they see it, but yeah, yeah hopefully it'll help them on their on their journey. So, that's for sure. so go look for it. Um, yeah, that's fantastic, Nick. Um, I really appreciate your time, um, and I really hope that people go look you up and learn something from what yeah. you've got to give. And I think that here in Adelaide, I think we've got a couple of uh, coaches that are around, and I think as a coach myself in Adelaide, I think it's good to have a network of coaches and be. And you know, because we all, I think everyone brings something different to the table, and um, yeah, we've got a great community. What we might do for your um, your website and your Facebook page, if you're keen, is um, I'm happy to give pass you five coffees over, and we'll make a post up, and yeah, um, basically we'll put everyone's name into a hat. But to go into the hat, what we'll do is you've got to put down what your dream ultra is. So, uh-huh. or what you're working towards. All right, we can whack that on, on uh, um, put it on my Facebook page. Yeah. Okay, there, and we'll uh, select the um, the winners at random, or do we pick, how, what, what's our judging criteria? The best the, the best Dream Ultra? No, I think, no, no, because there could be multiple. So what we'll do is, if you put whatever ultra your dream is, and, for, yeah. you know, depending on the ability of the runner, someone's Dream Ultra might actually be to, you know, go and be able to do, a 50 kilometer like say around the track yeah. um to start off with whereas you know say well, some crazy or brendan yeah. davies or you know do like <laughs> might be to go and you know run an absolute you know the jungle ultra yeah. or something like that all right so, then. so we'll stay tuned so yeah we'll, we'll give it a, we'll i'll whack that um I'll, when i post this episode up on the on my facebook page you'll see the um the the, the link to that and we'll and I'll make sure that there's links to Nick's website and everything. And then we'll, um, yeah, and Nick's going to generously donate five copies to the five best answers. So if you want to get a free book with lots of knowledge, you've got to be in it to win it. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. Thanks, Nick. That's so easy. Um, before we finish, I don't know if you've listened, but I do have a little thing I like to finish on, and it's a bit of a unifying thing that I do with all the with everyone who comes on, and it's the fast five. So we finish with the five questions, and I generally do the same questions, and so we get a bit of a, a recurring theme. And so yeah, just fairly short answer questions. Some yeah, of them yeah. are not easy. Question one, if you could go for a run with any celebrity, living or dead, who would it be? Uh, have to say Killian Jornet, um, without wow. doubt. Yeah. Um, as much as um, Dean Carnazes was probably the first one to speak to um, and, you know, introduce me to ultraing through his books, um, just Killian Janae. Oh, he's amazing. Just, oh, exactly. I'd have so many coaching questions, running questions, stories that he could just share. And um, he's so humble. And he's got every reason to not be humble. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, without doubt. Good answer. Fun. I um, haven't had that one before, so well done. Um, question two, I would like you to complete this sentence. Five years from now, I want to be... Uh, I want to be a professional coach completely. Um, nice. So I'm moving from teaching to coaching and it, it's well on track. Um, Excellent. But love it and love working with people. Fantastic. I like that goal. Uh, question three, what is your favourite type of workout? Ooh, I'll probably... 
be, it doesn't have to be on, on running. It could be a Saturday. No, no, it's definitely running. Um, ooh, I have like I have specific like short speed sets that I love doing. Um, and I have like specific long runs that I love doing, but probably anything that's got a long, steady hill in it, like just running oh. long, like basically hitting that, like a tempo zone sort of thing, going uphill for a long time. Nice. Probably yeah. that's where I find my happy place. Oh, cool. Yeah, quality and, and quantity kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Question four, uh, what is your favorite post-race drink? Uh, definitely a smoothie. Um, yeah, probably actually more post-training run drink, but yeah, yeah. basically a smoothie, um, banana, honey, Put an egg in it, like oh, a bit of ice. Yeah, that's good that's recovery drink. Yeah, so. nice. Um, <clears throat> question five is: Which side of the debate are you on? Headphones or no headphones? Don't run with headphones. Don't so run that's with easy. Yeah, easy done. Excellent. Enjoy the scenery. Enjoy the birds. Yeah, good job. All right. Well, Nick Muxlow from the Ultra Journey. It's been a pleasure, mate. I'll see you next time. <laughs> Will do. Love to be back. Yeah, cheers, mate. See you out on the trail. Hey guys, that brings us to the end of episode 30 of the Trail Runners Experience. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Nick Muxlow from the Ultra Journey. Um, so if you wanted to be in the competition to win a copy of Nick's book, Journey to 100, How to Run Your Best 100K Ultra Marathon and Love It, if you want to win that book, um, Nick's giving away five copies. So all you have to do is write the answer to the question that was mentioned in the episode, um, write it on the Facebook page, the Trail Runners Experience podcast Facebook page. Um, I'm going to give you, I might say, let's say we'll give you seven days. So until the next episode drops, um, and then I'll we'll pick, a, pick five winners at random, and I'll be in touch, and Nick will send you out a copy. So the question being, what is your favorite or what is your dream race? Nick would like to know. I would like to know. Could be something crazy. Could be something not so crazy. So <clears throat> the choice is yours. So make sure you write your answer on the Trail Runners Experience uh, Facebook page. And if you haven't already liked the page, go ahead and like it and share it and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people that hear the podcast, the more I can keep making it because I'm enjoying doing this and I want to keep doing it for as long as possible. So, and don't, don't forget also, we've got the ongoing promotion uh, with Infinite Nutrition. So get on their uh, website and have a look at their product. If you haven't tried it already, go um, maybe buy some from the website. Um, and if you do go to buy it, don't forget to put in the discount code of DRU and that'll give you a nice little discount um, with Infinite Nutrition. And uh, certainly a very helpful product for endurance athletes. And they've got lots of recovery products as well. So check it out. All right, guys, until next week, happy running.